This is episode number 163 with John Rulin. Success 101 Podcast. This is your host, Jared Warren. At each episode, my goal is to bring you a new concept or idea to help you maximize your full potential. Thanks for joining me here today. Now let's kick things off. Hey guys, welcome back to the Success 101 Podcast. So fired up to be here with you today. As always, this is your host, Jared Warren, author, investor, advisor, coach, and dedicated to helping you reach your maximum potential each day. We've got an awesome show today with my good friend, John Rulin. But before we dive into that, I want to remind you guys that my book, From Success to Significance, that I'm spending time going through my live podcast episodes on right now, doing a chapter-by-chapter or section-by-section breakdown on those, is available for free. All I want you to do is cover the shipping on that, and it is yours. There's been a huge demand for the book lately since I started doing the live episodes, and I don't want you guys to miss out. So my team has made it very easy for you. All you have to do is head over to success101podcast.com forward slash the dash book, where you can grab your own copy. If you're outside of the United States, please select the ebook version only, which is only just a couple of dollars more than the paperback. But if you select the paperback version, when you get to the checkout, just enter SUCCESS101 in the coupon or promo code. That will notch the price down to where all you have to cover is the shipping on this. I cannot wait to get it into more of your hands, and that is why I decided to give it away for free. I also want to remind you guys that the Human Charger is 20% off for those loyal SUCCESS101 podcast listeners who head over to SUCCESS101podcast.com forward slash Human Charger and enter the promo code SUCCESS101. There's been an overwhelming demand for the Human Charger since I started talking about it on more of my podcast episodes and partnered with the guys over at Valky to give you guys 20% off. This device is amazing in the fact that it is a bright white with blue-infused light, the same spectrum as the sun, that funnels through these little earbuds that you put down into your ear. So your brain perceives light throughout the day as we're walking around, but most of us are out there in closed environments. We're not getting enough sun. We're pounding too much caffeine. This is going to help you reset your circadian rhythms. It's even going to help you sleep better at night, but it keeps you from pounding caffeine. It gets you up in the morning and gives your brain the same perceived sensory experience as staring at the sun, but without losing your eyesight in the process. So again, head over to success101podcast.com forward slash human charger, and at checkout, enter the promo code success101 for your 20% off. Now guys, to our amazing show today with the awesome John Rulin. John is ranked number one in sales in the 65-year history of Cutco, which is the largest cutlery manufacturer in North America sure you guys have heard of him before. He's also the founder of the Ruling Group, which teaches executives and sales leaders in professional sports and business organizations the strategies and impact appreciation and giving can have on growth, sales, and culture. John's book, Giftology, is one you guys really need to check out, not only if you're a business leader, but also just to improve relationships in your lives and really understand why the power of gift giving with a sincere and natural heart is key to developing your relationships stronger. Some of the things we cover in today's episode is how selfish people, because we all know we are, how selfish people can really embrace intentional and meaningful giving 
in their yearly pursuit of overall growth. We talk about perceived manipulation with gifts. Does gift giving ever backfire when people know that it's coming from a business or organization? How John is integrating the work, family, travel life into his overall schedule and what he's done wrong in that area. And how we can invest in people who don't necessarily have a perceived long-term value. So if you know in your business or in your relationships, there's going to be a perceived long-term value coming your way. How much easier is it for you to give gifts? What if you can't see that? John is a master at giving gifts without any perceived benefit coming from that and deepening his relationships through that process. John's got a four-step action process within his company that we go over and the research behind giving and relationships. This is one you guys don't want to miss for several reasons, but I believe this is going to help you guys take your gift giving, your relationships, and your overall development to the next level. So without any further delay, let's jump right into my conversation with the one and only John Rulin. John Rulin, what an honor it is to have you here on the Success 101 podcast. How are things? Jared, I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Man, I am so fired up you're here, and I've seen your name everywhere, you know, over the last, probably I got tuned into you probably about a year ago or so, and I started looking up some of your stuff as we got ready to prepare for the podcast. I try not to prepare too much because I want there to be some curiosity here in my questions and in some of your answers. But man, I have to tell you, I'm really, really curious about your message that you're going to send here today because who you are and what you're doing for others, which is just so incredibly different. You know, it's normal for you. But it's so different than what other people have a focus on out there today. And I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about selfish people that don't do a lot of gift giving. But but gift giving, I know, is just kind of, you know, for lack of better words, your trademark. But let's face it, man, people are selfish out there and they're not doing a lot of gift giving. Or if they are, they're doing it, you know, kind of halfway or the wrong way. And I just want to know from you, we'll just dive in. Let's just go head first because I want to cover as much ground here as we can. But I know that people out there who are great at giving gifts, and this may not be you, But the people that I know that are great at giving gifts and they're passionate about that and building relationships around, you know, some of that framework or others, many times they have some chapter in their life where they were, I guess I would just say humbled, where they were brought a little lower and that helps give them a big leap from looking at themselves and looking outward to others. And then, then that giving spirit emerges. Was that your story or was this something that you tapped into early on? What was your background with that? Yeah, well, what's interesting, there's the book, The Five Love Languages, and most people assume that uh, gifting, there's like, you know, acts of service and words of affirmation. Like, right. they assume gifting is like my gift. Like, that's what I enjoy <laughs> receiving, and so that's what I give, because that's how most people are. Of course. If you like, compl- you know, if words of affirmation or thing, you get, tend to give words of affirmation as your love language. And the a- a- exact opposite is true. Like, my love language is words of affirmation, not gifting. Wow. But, which is interesting because people will use the excuse like, well, oh, John, you're blessed with it. You're good at that. That's why you can do it because you, that, that's your love language. And I'm like, actually, no, I just have spent 17 years focusing on it. And I had, you know, really what changed for me was I had some mentors that uh, when I was in college, kind of formative years, I interned with the company, the Knife Company Cutco, which has, you know, an amazing sales training program, but they're not necessarily known for gift giving. But I was dating a girl at the time and her dad was an attorney and he had more deal flow and referrals coming out of his ears than he could handle. And he was also, even to this day, one of the most generous people I'd ever met. And I started to, you know, like a lot of people, you know, do like when you meet somebody really successful, you model your life after them. Like, what are they doing that's successful that I can resonate with? Right. And I saw him always giving things away. Like he'd find deals on noodles and buy like a semi load of noodles. And everybody at church the next Sunday would end up with like 20 cases of noodles. (laughs) And I'm like, 
you know, he has more business than he can handle. He's one of the calmest, nicest, most down to earth people that I know. He's an attorney, but he owns the banks in town, the oil wells, the real estate that he buys turns into the Walmart like two years later. Like, that's a dude I want to get behind and I want to model my life off after. And so I started to model a lot of what I teach around those principles. So it wasn't, I wasn't born into it. I was born into, I was a poor farm boy. I grew up one of six kids milking goats every morning. So I didn't learn it there. I really learned it when I was like 19, 20 years old from uh, one of my first real mentors. Man, that is awesome. And it's even more awesome that it was a, like an ex-girlfriend, I think, whose dad was your mentor, if I heard that story correctly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, and unfortunately, that relationship did not survive. We, I had the ring and the whole nine yards and it ended up not working out. Very grateful to her and to the family because really my trajectory of my life changed as a direct result of not only Cutco, but because of that, you know, modeling of, hey, like this is what it looks like to be radically generous. And when you're poor, you notice when people are very generous because it's just so counterintuitive to do the radical things he was doing. But when you see success, you, when you see somebody's life at 60, like, oh, that's what my life could look like when I'm 60 years old by being generous for the next 40 years. Like, I think I like that. And I think I want some of that. And it was intoxicating to, to, uh, to be drawn towards that and see what, you know, how people responded to him. Man, that is awesome. That is so good to hear. Well, I know, you know, that's such an interesting concept because when you talk about the love languages, because in my household, which we're not perfect at this by any means, and I'm about to reveal that my wife and I are completely flipped whenever we do that test. I'm gifts. And when somebody gives me a gift, it's a huge, I don't know if it's just a feeling of, man, these people really went out of their way and other people aren't doing that, you know, regularly in my life. And so this really stands out, which I'm sure you find a lot with your business, which we'll dive into here in just a second. She's the opposite. She's words of affirmation. And I struggle for giving her those words. And so I feel like I'm pretty great most of the time at gift giving when it comes to something that really matters. Where I'm poor is when it doesn't matter quite so much. Or what I'll kind of get into with you here in a second is those long-term vision relationships that maybe you don't see today. I'm really curious to dive into that with you. But man, that is really interesting that that is not number one on your list. Because like you said, I just assumed that was a natural thing for you. And that's what led you to that. But you're saying anybody should be able to tap into this because it's not your, it's not your gifting. Yeah, no, and I think most relationships are flipped. I mean, I think you're, my wife is quality time, and of course now I'm speaking all over the world and traveling, and you know that doesn't exactly speak uh, her love language. When I'm like, sorry, babe, I'm you know I'm leaving for another three or four days to go speak at MIT or Google or wherever else. It's like really, like all I really want is you to be home and engaged and present, and you know, so like I can give her the nicest gifts in the world, but if I can't give her quality time, like I, I so I've had to be really you know, get better at saying no to things and blocking off time and doing some of those sorts of things. And, and it's still, you know, and talk about a work in progress, like some weeks I'm great at it. And other weeks I'm like, I failed miserably at that. Like I, you know, I'm the gift guy that just came up empty handed. So, right. Right. Man, we're all there, but <laughs> you're not in the uh, minority by any means. So let's talk about, as we get ready to dive into your business and the model here, let's talk about, like I mentioned, some selfish or small minded people, I guess I would say, how do we, and I'll, I'll put myself in there, I, I think most people listening into this would consider themselves, you know, many days about themselves, whether they like to or not, or they're trying to change that. But how do we as selfish, self-driven people that have our agendas each day when we get up, we're driving, we're active, we're trying to make it happen. How do we really make people, and I mean really make others a priority, like with consistency, not just a one-off here or there for people that are close with us. From your story, what I understand you're doing a lot with really looking forward into the future. I think I heard at one point you said, give generously, give, you know, above and beyond for three years and then come back to me and tell me if it didn't work or not. I know for most people, that's very hard to see, especially if they don't think they're going to get an immediate ROI out of it. 
How is it that selfish people should be framing this to go, look, whether you think there's going to be a long-term partnership with this person or not, like in a business setting or a friendship or just, hey, I'm just kind of inherently selfish. How do you get people really on board with understanding? And how does your book talk about that? Yeah. Well, I think if you look at people that are uber successful, you look at like a Tony Robbins or really anybody on the planet, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, guys that are like speaking to our generation and even beyond, they all say, play the long game. Like there's a lot of people that are playing the short game. Like the reason I do really well is because I'm thinking 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. I think about relationships as a marathon, a 50 year marathon. And so even if you're selfish, the world is wired. Like, you know, Robert Cialdini wrote Persuasion in uh, Influence. They all talk about reciprocity and they all t- and like the world, like whether you believe in a God or not, or faith-based, like it's in our DNA. When you plant a seed, when you pay something forward, when you pour into people, it's going to come back. Now, it may take a year, 10 years, 50 years to come back, and it may not come back the way you think it's going to come, but it's just how the world is wired. We reap what we sow. A gift ushers you into the presence of kings. Like These are like old school, like 5,000-year-old like principles that we're, we're really talking about in giftology. Like it, There's nothing new under the sun. Like We put a spotlight on something that, that most people have kind of forgotten about, but I think that even if you're selfish-minded, like I'm a for-profit business. Like I'm not just doing this for like rainbows and unicorns and to like hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Like I want a good margin. I want a good ROI. And I know that most people are not going to do this. So I like to play in the blue ocean where nobody's playing. There's no sharks ripping apart the same piece of meat. I want to be the only shark in the ocean. And I, so I find I'm always looking for areas where most people are either too weak, too lazy they're not willing to plan. They're not willing to invest. Whatever it is, like, I don't want to be with the masses. And so, you know, if everybody was really good at gifting and being generous and thinking about the long game, then it wouldn't work as well. But the simple fact is, is if you're thinking selfishly, like, go to the place where nobody else. I mean, it's like Wayne Gretzky's quote. Like, I don't skate to where the puck is. I skate to where the puck's going to be. And he was like this, you know, like, he wasn't the strongest, the fastest, but he had that IQ when it came to hockey and really a lot of what gift giving is in relationship building, it's emotional intelligence. It's understanding you know, the psychology of relationships and how do people respond. And frankly, I think a lot of women are way better at what we teach inherently, intuitively, because they understand like the handwritten note and the details of you know, how the note feels and the packaging and the timing and the theme and the personalization, like everything that we talk about, like my wife inherently gets, like she just knows, like for a wedding, like... She thinks about all these little details, but most guys in particular are very linear. And even women in business can be very linear. Like, hey, check a box, send that bottle of wine to everybody at Christmas and call it a day. And if, if all your competitors are following the same playbook of taking people out to dinner and ball games and tickets and all the same crap, then you might as well go put your money, just light your money on fire because it's not going to have the impact that you want. But if you are willing to think long-term, do things differently, like, a lot of our best relationships and biggest deals with the Cubs or the largest home builder in the country, Daryl Horton, they came after seven years of pouring into people. Seven years in both of those cases. Wow. Most people give up after seven minutes or seven months. Oh, yeah. And so, but, you know, the payoff has been pretty significant to land those accounts. So if you're thinking selfishly, like, great. Like, I know I'm selfish too, but put those, you know, leverage the selfishness strategically and recognize the selfishness and say, how can I think long term and get a great ROI? Well, here's some of the things that nobody else is willing to do. 
Man, I'm so glad you said that because I'm sure there's people driving around out there listening to this right now going, man, okay, that takes some of the pressure off. It is for profit, as you mentioned. It's a business decision and we're not just doing it for, what'd you say, unicorns and rainbows, right? I mean, there has to be some sort of payoff. And for people that, you know, maybe don't think there should be, then they're not, you know, entrepreneurially minded maybe or something like that. But here's one thing that I know, and, and as we're peeling back the layers on this, this is so fascinating. I know that just inherently as humans, if we are, you know, selfish in the sense that we're all about us, okay, we can't play this charade for too long. Okay. I know you're genuinely passionate about giving and, you know, giftology, your book speaks to that, all that, but you can't do that for long. You can't keep that up if it's not real and it's not, you know, really ingrained in you or you haven't learned the real value of it. Why do you think though, from somebody who's doing this really well, you, why do you think people are just so poor about gift giving and relationship building, even successful people or seemingly successful people that would say, Hey, if I would give more gifts or I would do more of those things for relationship building, it would probably carry me a lot further than what I've even gone. Even those people still struggle. Why do you think we're so poor at that? Well, I think a couple of different reasons. One is most people, whether they want to admit it or not, like we all want to fit in and we're sheep. And so when you look around, you know, what, what people do, like they'll drop, you know, $100 on a bottle of wine at a steak dinner. They'll take people to, you know, drop thousands of dollars on Super Bowl tickets. Why? Because they look around and see other people doing it. And I don't think most people have those radically generous mentors and, and you know, advisors and leaders that are showing them this is the way you build relationships. And so I think that, you know, like we're all kind of sheep and there's very few people that are actually out there doing it. Our book has only been out nine months and it's done really well in those nine months, but you know, it hasn't sold, you know, 300 million copies yet. So I think most people, number one, they, they don't have anybody to model off of. Number two, they feel uncomfortable. They feel a little bit weird doing things like that. It's like, really, I'm going to send a gift to somebody's wife or somebody's assistant, or I'm going to send somebody a gift that they're going to use at home in the kitchen, or I'm going to do like, it just seems weird. And most people don't want to be looked upon as weird. I also think number three, like, there's all, there's this like stigma attached, like the, you know, with the FINRA and SEC rules and there's, you know, everybody's perception is, well, there's all these policies in place. I can't even send gifts because they hear about Walmart, not even being able to accept like a pencil or a cup of coffee. And sure. so there, there's the fear of, I don't want to spend money on a gift and heaven forbid, like somebody sends it back. Like how embarrassing, like, and so there's this fear of like being embarrassed or getting in trouble or any number of things. So you you take all of those in, like there's nobody modeling it. It's kind of weird. It's a little bit different. There's nobody's ever taught anybody how to do this. There's no like gifting class in, you know, at any MBA programs at any colleges. And at the end of the day, like people are just going to avoid those painful risk-based type things. And so there's just very few people that are willing to step up and say, you know what, I'm going to be the first one. And even if there's some risk involved and, I, and maybe it doesn't work, like I'm going to try something new. It's, it's, uh, it's a little bit scary. Yeah, absolutely. I think all of that is true. I think for most people out there inherently when they think about giving a gift, especially if there's a pretty large value tied to it, inside their first thought is going to be, well, I'm not going to do that because I don't know what the return is going to be. And I know you probably see that with people that you're teaching these concepts to all the time. It is weird and it is all of that, as you mentioned, but they're just not willing to put forth the effort not knowing that there's going to be a return there. And I think from your work that I've read, that's what you're really good about doing is playing that long game, as you mentioned. Gary Vaynerchuk, all those guys do talk about that. And that's something we can learn a lot from all of us as business minded people out there. But you're great at investing in those relationships when there's no perceived return right out of the gate and doing it in a big way. We've mentioned the book two or three times now. Tell us about the book and why what is contained there, you know, really is so important to you, why you've built your mission on that and the main focus points around business and giving. Yeah. Well, I think that the interesting part about what we 
teach and do is that every, you know, it's very vogue right now to say like business is all about relationships. It's like a relationship with our employees and culture and relationship with our clients. It's like, oh, we're not transactional. We're all about the relationship. And over 17 years of doing this, we saw that people would say that, but then they, when they actually came time to have that value actually acted upon and shown tangibly, put your money where your mouth is, like there was a big, it was very incongruent. Like they'd say relationships are important and then they send like a box of chocolates or some random gift card. And it's like, <laughs> like you say you're world-class, first-class, best-in-class, all these buzzwords, and that's supposed to represent the value of the relationship. Are you serious? And so really what giftology is, is it's our playbook of not only why does it matter, but how do we go about thinking about this? What's the plan? What's the relationship action plan? Like we have we have operational plans and marketing plans and business plans and financial plans. Like if relationships are the most important asset that you have, what's your plan to show gratitude and appreciation to those most important relationships internally and externally? You don't have a plan and you're not willing to put your money where your mouth is and budget for it and actually invest a certain percentage of your net profits back into those relationships, which for us is a minimum of 5% of net profits, then you, what you are saying is that they don't really matter. And so in Giftology, we say, if you really believe that, they, that our why is important, that relationships do matter, and you really do want to have a plan, like here's the steps you go through, here's the things you think about, here's what makes a, a gift really land and really matter. And you know, it, it is... It is in an art form at some level, but a lot of it is science. A lot of it is like, you know, like we lay out, like, here's why you put somebody's name on it. And you don't put a logo. Here's why it needs to be best in class. Here's why the 5% matters. And try to make it like just as strategic as any other decision that you have in your business. And so really giftology is, is our entire playbook. Like there's no giftology two coming out in like 2019, like everything that we've done up to this point. Now it'll continue to evolve and change and tweak and whatever else, but at a core level, a lot of what we have in Giftology are 5,000-year-old principles. We just kind of packaged it and put the spotlight on it and gave people a proven process that we've used. And, and you know, if it can work for a farm boy from Ohio who had no, like, crazy Silicon Valley connections or, like, my dad wasn't, like, you know, CEO of a Fortune 500 company, like, if it can work for me, like, these principles can work in New York, they can work in North Carolina, they can work in, you know, Canada. Like, we work with people all over the world. And we've got tired of people saying, well, I can't do that or I can't afford you, John. Like, that's BS, number one. Like, we have clients that spend 10 or 20 grand with us a year, not like $2 million a year, like to start out with. But I wanted to get it out there and inspire people to go take action, even if it wasn't outsourcing their gifts to us. You know, I wanted to give them the playbook to go take and run with. And those companies or those business leaders that might be here in this podcast or other messages you have, what really is it that you guys have engineered or designed for them? I know you've got, you know, really kind of a four-step system that you try to follow, but what are these leaders engaging with you for as far as, is it giving gifts to their top-line people? Is it giving gifts to their clients and vendors? I'm sure it's a little bit of all of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it starts anything that we, the low-hanging fruit for us is you can't expect to give like Ritz-Carlton service unless you treat your employees like the Ritz-Carlton. And so a lot of what we encourage people to do is take care of your employees, like love on them, take care of their spouses, take care of their kids, make their life easier. Then when you start to do gifting to their clients, it's not like, oh, wow, they treat their clients really well, but they treat us like crap. Right. It needs to be congruent. And most people start with their clients or their prospects. It's like, really, you're going to treat your prospects better than your clients? Like, you don't think that's going to come back to bite you? And so a lot of what we, you know, walk people through is who are all your key relationships? You know, is it investors, mentors, employees, referral sources, clients, prospects? 
You know, I treat my suppliers, the people who I buy from, better than most people treat their best employees. And the reason is people are like, well, how would you take your client out to dinner or, why, or your supplier out to dinner? Why are you sending them gifts? And I'm like, well, because I don't have a business without suppliers. Right. Absolutely. Most companies are that way and they treat their suppliers like dog crap. And then they wonder why they're, you know, they, the person doesn't deliver like in the 11th hour when, the, when everything goes wrong. It's like, well, you treated them like crap. You beat them down on price. And then you like when they when you really need them to come through, you think they're going to like bend over backwards and, you know, work over a weekend and do a double, triple shift. No, because you treat them like crap. I want people in my corner like I've received some amazing referrals from my suppliers. Why? Because we have a great relationship with most of them, if not all of them. Like I value them like as a core part of our team. So the big thing is to identify all the people that you wouldn't have a business with without. And for some people, that's 20 people. For some people, that's 20,000 people. But then you start to assign value to them and say, what would happen if I lost this person or these people or the supplier or this client? Or, and what would that mean over the next 20 years? And all of a sudden, people are like, oh, my gosh, like even some of these entry-level suppliers or businesses or employees or clients, like you're talking about like six figures, seven figures, eight figures, like better get to investing in them now and not wait until they're like people when a client's ready to leave or an employee's ready to leave, then they want to throw the kitchen sink at them. Please stay. Right. We'll do anything. We'll price concessions. We'll do this. We'll do that. Like it's too late then. And so like investing on the front end. So you're able to reap the benefits on the back end. Like that's our, our big thing is, but you have to identify the list and start to put some metrics and some numbers to it. So it's, it's done strategically. And most people tend to do gifting very very reactively, very reactionary, like, oh, crap, somebody sent us business. We better say thank you versus how do we love on people in such a way that they just want to refer us business? Like, yeah. that's, a, that's a novel thought. Like, how about we pour into them and inspire them to be referral sources versus waiting for them, you know, being passive and waiting for something to happen? Like, wouldn't you like to be in, in control of inspiring people to be active advocates for you? Like, we, we do like that's, I mean, we have more deal, like more people to follow up with than we can handle because we are constantly like our, our gifting budget per year for clients, prospects, employees, whatever else is over $300,000 a year. And we're a small firm and, but it, it reaps us massive opportunities because we're willing to invest on the front end, knowing that if we do the right things on the front end, guess what? This is how the world's wired. Like it's going to come back. It might be in three months, it might be in three years, but it's going to come back. That's just how it's, and we've seen that happen year in and year out for 17 years. Yeah, I think the crazy thing is, logically, you and I, and, you know, probably everybody else listening to this, logically, that sounds right. It's just putting it into practice for so many businesses out there. They're just not doing it. And everything that you said is like 100% fact. Again, nothing new under the sun. This has been talked about for thousands of years, but it's just implementing it. I don't know why it's so hard. And I do, I do, I think it comes back to us just being selfish or small-minded and not really knowing if there's going to be a return there. I know I've heard, you know, even crazy stuff like Gary Vaynerchuk. You mentioned him earlier. I think at one point you like chartered a helicopter to bring him over from the airport or something like that. And you'd given John Lee Dumas a sauna and all those sort of things. Does it ever become when people know that that's your deal, when they know that you're the gift giving guy, so to speak, is it ever perceived as manipulation? Does it ever backfire where they're like, well, okay, of course he's giving gifts. That's what he does. And it's just not as special or how, like, how do you overcome that obstacle? Yeah. Well, I think that, uh, one, we try to keep things fresh and different. I think people, you know, there's definitely, I mean, even at home, like the expectations of my wife, you know, when you're the gift guy, like you want to talk about like how Absolutely. you constantly <laughs> like exceed expectations, it's difficult. 
at one, I think that every business has that. If you hold yourself to a high bar, like you trying to continue to keep things fresh and reinvent yourself. I will say that as far as people being like, oh, of course he's the gift guy. I think that, you know, there's understanding that on paper, like, oh, he does gifts. And I've had a number of times where people said, I get what you do, but then I received the gift and I took it home to my wife or I get the, I got the package and how I felt, I felt even more like grateful than I thought that I would. I got what you did in my head, but then I, like I felt it. And so I think that there's that element of like, you can read a book or, you know, it'd be like reading a book about, you know, kissing, but there's no substitute for like, how does it feel to be kissed by somebody? Like that's a, there's magic there. There's energy. There's like, oh my that's gosh. Example. And so I think gifting, while not as intimate, is very similar. And I also say that when I give a gift, you know, when I do something for, and I talked about doing something for Gary, like we treated him really well when he came to town, but I will say we mentioned doing the helicopter. I tried to get the helicopter and there's only one helicopter company in St. Louis and they were booked. They would, they weren't able to do it. So I didn't do the helicopter. I did do the sauna for John Lee Dumas. And I've done a lot of those crazy things, but when I do it, I'm not asking for anything. And so when I sent the, the sauna to JLD, like it was just to acknowledge him. He's a great guy. He's doing cool things. He had me on the podcast. It was just a cool way to acknowledge him. And he had mentioned like he's EO on fire, like fire sauna. He had mentioned sauna a couple of different times. Like really, you use, you have a sauna in your house. It was like, I'm going to bless this dude. He's doing cool things. He's a really nice guy. But I didn't ask him for anything. And so I think that when you give a gift... Yeah, see, and that's the difference. That's the big difference with you that I hear just in your work is that, again, what people are perceiving is what is the ROI going to be on this if I take the effort to plan this out or have my staff plan it out and I fork over the money to do it, package it up, send it to somebody. Nah, I got to see if something develops first. I got to yeah. ask for something first. And that's where I want to, with my own life, my own business, and just the people I surround myself with, I want to get to that point. And I know that doesn't just happen overnight. It doesn't just, it's not a switch where you go, you know what? I'm just going to be a lot more generous starting tomorrow. <laughs> just, you know, again, that story will not last very long if it's not coming from a deep-seated, rooted place of, hey, I'm not asking for anything. This is just who I am. And I think that's what you're doing such a great job of out there. Yeah, you got to commit to it, commit to the process like anything else and commit to a certain number. And I will say that the more you do it and start to do it, it does become kind of intoxicating and addictive. It becomes like, wow, like I really enjoy seeing people excited and smiling and happy. And, and it feels good. I mean, you know, like there is joy in giving. Now, it doesn't seem that way. It seems like it'd be more joy in receiving. But I think, you know, it's like when you become a parent and you start to see like, what does it feel like to, to give to your kids and do things for your kids? Like it's super rewarding. And I think that, you know, maybe not as, it, not as deep, but when you start to become, you know, that giver that doesn't keep track and doesn't keep score and you start to build that momentum and work that gratitude muscle, it gets stronger. And you know, there's many times where I, you know, people are like, oh, I love, you know, the knives that you sent me. And I don't even remember sending them to them because I don't keep track. I don't have like this score sheet, like where I better get, I know that if I do this enough times, to the right people, to the right resources, to the right, you know, that the keeping track will take care of itself. Now we do measure like the percentage that we're going to invest and all that kind of stuff. But in general, I've seen the track record well enough. I don't need to keep track. It's, uh, we do for clients so they can kind of see and start to see the ROI and whatever else. But I, what's interesting, like with Asana, like I did something for John, but I've heard, you know, 50 different people say, John tells that story at different events and different gatherings. And so like, what's it worth to have somebody like John Lee Dumas talking about you in the most innermost circles of executives and entrepreneurs and whatever else? Like, how do you measure the value of having somebody of influence out there advocating for you? No, absolutely. You know, like, I don't know 
who we talked to that then like asked me to be on their show that then became a client. And then they brought me in to speak on their stage. Like you, when you start to put this web of generosity out there, like things start to happen and you can't track it all the way back to why I sent this and that happened. You just know, like you put out enough good things into the world, like you start to reap those benefits over time. And I do know it's scary. It's freaky to start doing that and putting things out and not asking for anything in return. But the cool thing is, is there's enough guys like Tony Robbins that have done it for a long time. You're like, you know, do I want to be like Tony Robbins? Uh, yeah, I think he's done okay. And <laughs> yeah, he talks about, right. yeah, and he talks about like giving, I think it was like a tip or giving money like in a restaurant when he could barely afford to even be in the restaurant. And the power of being generous, even when you don't have, you know, like two nickels to rub it to against it. Like there's things that start to happen internally for you and how you look at the world and, you know, the types of people that you attract and, you know, like there's a lot of ancillary benefits on top of, you know, the business that's going to come from it. Just, you know, based upon who you're known to be and what type of person you are, it's it's uh, it's super powerful. Well, and it's the abundance mentality versus the scarcity mentality is what it comes down to. If you're working off of abundance, then you're going to do those things that many people might think are foolish, like the Tony Robbins example. It's like, well, first of all, you shouldn't even have been in that restaurant. That's foolish with your finances. Secondly, you know, why be proud to be able to give a tip? You shouldn't even have been there. Like, work your way up to that. But that was, you know, obviously a standout story for him in his life, or he wouldn't be telling it. And I just think that's just how more of us need to operate. And you had mentioned, it seems like it would make more, it would please us more, however you phrase it, to be able to receive. There's so much research out there around giving and how that really forms your purpose and your passion and your big why is, you know, even the chemicals released in the brain and all those sort of things that happen when you give versus receiving and, you know, many people know that, but we don't do a great job of really putting it out there as businesses or as companies in America today. And, you know, like you said, you're doing something that's, you know, very different. We'll, of course, steer people to your book here at the end. But for someone who's hearing your story and they're like, man, OK, sure, it's OK for him to give gifts. He's got a three hundred thousand dollar budget here. I don't have that. I would just say, you know, again, that might be thinking small, but I would just say it's just the, the gifts just get bigger and better or more abundant, right? So for somebody that doesn't have that and they're working as an entrepreneur or here in my office here with the young financial advisors that I'm coaching, I mean, sometimes just getting them to even buy lunch for their client is like, man, should I do that? Should, he's asked to meet here at this steakhouse. Maybe I should change the meeting to Starbucks. I don't want, you know, and so it's just trying to get them to really invest in their business. And I get it, you know, 23 years old out of school and you're just trying to scrap for what, you know, eat what you kill. How would yep. you tell people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, wherever, whatever stage they're in to really start tomorrow or today to start putting a foot in front of the other as, as far as how to start building this in? What are some tangibles you can put in for somebody that doesn't have a budget that's absolutely huge just to start working on that part of their practice or their life? Yeah. Well, I think that, uh, I mean, I started small when I was in college, I was 21 years old. I started to, you know, budget, it was like $200 a month. I'd buy like one cut code knife set, you know, carving set per month to start giving away. So $200 a month, that's $2,400 a year, but $200 people spend that on beer money. They spend it on all kinds you know, video games and all kinds of dumb stuff Yep, um, that has no ROI. I'd also say that like start to consider like what you invested in your own college education. Like, you know, a lot of times people are going into debt 20, 30, 40 grand a year. And for me, at least, like I've reaped more rewards off of investing in myself personally outside of college. Like I went to a four-year private university. I paid for it all myself. But I would trade all of that for one summer selling Cutco because I learned more from actually investing in my own self and buying my own books that I read, John Maxwell books, and going out and having to run my own business You know, at 20, 21 years old. 
And so I think that a lot of times it's, it isn't a huge amount. Like it could be, but it's consistent. It's, it's a hundred dollars a month. It's $500 a month. It's whatever. And you know, if you're a financial advisor, anybody, like if you want to land the right level of clients and you're not willing to go buy somebody's steak lunch or whatever else, like do you really deserve to have that million dollar client? Like if you're not willing to invest in yourself and in the client on the front end, I would question whether or not you deserve the rewards on the back end. And so for me, it's like, yeah, great point. It's an easy equation of saying, okay, even if I spent $500 a month, that's $6,000. And if I did that for the next five years, that's 30 grand. It's probably less than the student loans that I have. And I'm investing in, start to add it up. Like whether they become clients or not, I'm making an impression and building a relationship with, is it 50 key people, a hundred key people, 200 key people. And I always viewed that like, even if I moved on from Cutco and did something else, like I have this amazing network of people that I've poured into. And, you know, Jason Gaynor, who does mastermind talks, who's a you know, close friend of mine talks about, and I think Tim Ferriss has talked about it, you know, that your network is your net worth. Like it's one of the few things like Jason Gaynor lost everything, went bankrupt. And he's like, the one thing that they couldn't take from me, the bank could take my car, my house, my buildings. It couldn't take my relationships. Wow. And that's what he rebuilt on was he started hosting these dinners when he could barely afford it. He'd host these amazing dinners at restaurants and he'd pick up the tab and it would cost a couple thousand dollars. And he became known like, he, and now it's a, it's a book called Mastermind Dinners. And he became known as a person that would pull together these amazing people and people would take his phone call. And when he had his first event, those were the people that came to that first event. And he bought $80,000 worth of Tim Ferriss's books he borrowed the money. Now, I'm not advocating for this, by the way, <laughs> but it shows a ballsiness of saying, I'm going to invest in myself and in people. He spent $80,000, borrowed money to buy $80,000 worth of books of Tim Ferriss so he could get two keynotes from Tim Ferriss. That was part of the deal. Holy cow. And he built the first event around Tim Ferriss being one of the speakers at his event. And, um, and he was hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and was just in a bad spot. But it, it does show that even in a really bad situation, the power of relationships and having the right relationships and being somebody that people love and trust and, and uh, being that kind of aggregator of those people. And so I'm not advocating to go into debt hundreds of thousands of dollars or lose your business. But what I am saying is that if you talk to most businesses, most leaders, most entrepreneurs, they'll tell you that their relationships, investing in those people, that dollar for dollar, there's very few investments that you're going to get a better return on. And so I would just challenge anybody in any industry. It's like trying to outgive God. Like, I mean, God's wired this world a certain way. Like you start pouring into people, no strings attached, loving on them, connecting them, referring them, looking to serve them. It's, you know, I challenge people all the time, do it for three years. And if it doesn't work, I, I want you to, you know, like I'll interview you and, and I'll, I'll admit publicly that I'm horribly wrong, <laughs> but I've never had in 17 years where people are like, yep, I went all in on relationships, genuinely poured into these people. And yeah, it didn't work. It just didn't yeah. work. Yeah, you make it's, a good point. The world is wired that way. You know, there's a reason behind that for sure. And we've been created that way. And, you know, again, it's just kind of a confusing thing. Why are more people, if we can all admit that, why are we not doing it? So last thing here, I know we, we've only got so much time in a podcast. Thanks so much for your time. How are you just kind of getting personal here? How are you integrating? You know, there's no balance nowadays. It's just how do we juggle everything that's coming at us? How are you integrating the work, travel, family life? And what have you really learned that you maybe have done wrong in that area as someone that grew up, you know, small town farm boy, like you said, and doing all the stuff you're doing now, what are some things you kind of wished you knew along the way and how you're integrating what you've learned now with family and work? Yeah. Yeah. I would say that, um, 
when my wife and I, when we started dating, like I was, my business was almost ready to go under. Like I had like a bunch of things went wrong. IRS audit, a police stealing from me, like a death in the family, like everything that could go wrong as an entrepreneur went wrong. And then 2007, 2008 all happened at this, all at the same time. Was it the ruling group back then or was it under yeah. something else? Yeah, it was ruling group, ruling promotion group. Yeah, it was ruling group. And so, you know, when we started dating, like I like was barely keeping my lips above the water and, and really like our relationship started on like rocky soil. Like it just was like, I was barely surviving. I was living on like a thousand dollars a month take home. It was really bad. Holy cow. And my business partner who bought half the company didn't take a salary for like two years. So I would say that I have this fear of ever going back to that point. And so I would say if anything, like there's been a tendency to kind of be married to my business first before being married to my wife. And so I've had to be really intentional to leave the phone in the car when I get home. I don't bring my laptop into the house anymore because if I do, I'll jump on it and I'll work late at night and then I won't get up as early as I need to in the morning and get my workout in and all these different things. Like it becomes a snowball effect. I also say that like as the book has gotten more popular, like we've tripled our keynote fee from like seven grand to 20 grand. One, because I value my time and I don't want to travel any more than I already am. But two, like, when I do travel, I've tried to like, you know, I've been traveling a lot the last three or four weeks. Like it, we spoke at MIT, which was just like, like a bucket list item. Like I can't even believe like That's that great. was there, like that kind of stuff. But I took, I'm taking off. I leave Saturday to take my family to Disney World for a week. And so, you know, like that wouldn't have happened five or six years ago. Like I was too tied into the business to let go enough to, you know, to take, you know, four or five days away and, and shut it off and turn it down. And and so they're still like figuring it out, like, you know, how many days off should I take and how much should I travel? Like right now, it's probably 11 days a month, which for some people that speak is not very much. And other people that don't travel at all, like they're like, oh, my gosh, you're gone a third of the month. Yeah, and right. so and with a wife that loves, you know, quality time is her love language, like no amount of gifts makes up for being away. So I would say that, you know, I'm still figuring it out. I don't have it all figured out. You know, my wife and I are, you know, like try to communicate as best as possible and you know, with three little girls, like realize that time is going to go fast. And, but I'm still a work in progress in that area, I would say. Yeah, man, that's awesome. As a guy with three girls as well, just learning you know, a couple of years behind you here, but just learning the value that a father can have being present in the life of daughters, I mean, or sons, you know, either way, but the things that a father can do in the life of girls is just, you know, kind of learning. It's just amazing. And yours are young, just like, just like mine. But I think that's such an important lesson for those listening out there is that you've been to the bottom of the bottom and just the fear of never wanting to return there again and wanting to get all the things right to where you never return there again could obviously pull you away and then even justify it to yourself like, hey, you know, your wife, it's like, hey, you know where I've been. You were with me in the beginning. We don't ever want to return there. So let me work like let me just kind of let me do this. And obviously that wouldn't be good. And so I, I love that you put up some boundaries for that as well. So John, thanks so much for your time here today. Where can we steer more traffic your way, in, whether it be your website, ruling group, or just your personal website, or you know more book sales? I want to get everybody you know that can go over there and get this book, get it in their hands. Where can we find you? Yeah, well, I'd say one of the things that, you know, if somebody can't afford a book or they're like, I'm not sure if this is for me or not. One of the things we created was a free PDF that a lot of times, like my, I take my kids bowling, like they just need the bumpers so they don't like go into the gutters. Right. So we created a PDF that's like the top 10 worst gifts to avoid. So like gift cards are on there. Why don't you give gift cards? They're like, oh my gosh, I give a hundred Starbucks gift cards a month. And I'm like, uh, here's why you may want to reconsider that. So we made that available. If you go to giftologybook.com slash success, 
um, you can go and check it out, download it, and, and at least for yourself or for your marketing team or, you know, just to give you some ideas of things not to do. So, you know, I think it's just a good, helpful guide. It's a one pager. It's really quick. And if you love what's on there or you love the podcast and you want to buy the book, Amazon has it on Audible, Kindle, hardcover. We're negotiating rights right now to sell it to like over in Asia and China and Europe and sell the rights. So it'll be global. It's in Canada right now and a few other places, but it's taken off. Rulingroup.com is more like the outsource gifting. So if, if somebody wants to hire us to do the gifting for them, they can check it out there and see some of the projects that we've done. And then johnrulin.com is more like the thought leader blog, consulting, speaking, keynoting, all that kind of stuff to find out more there. That is great. Man, keep up the good work. Keep going against the flow and doing what others are not because obviously it it stands out and uh, it's making a big difference. So thanks so much. Thanks, Jared. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. Yep, bye. Hey guys, I loved having John on the show today and hope you go grab a copy of his book, Giftology. It is an awesome book and I hope you all go out and get your hands on it. If you'd like to connect directly with me, the best way to do that is by email at info at success101podcast.com or in the world of social media on the Success 101 Facebook page or on Instagram under the name at success101podcast. I'll catch you guys on the next awesome episode of the Success 101 Podcast. Until then. Until then.